Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The official sponsor of the Can We Please Talk podcast is Fresh Roasted Coffee. Let's get you some great tasting coffee to help you start your day off right. Whether you're shopping for coffees, teas, syrups, mixes, mugs, gift cards, and more, when you get to checkout, enter in the promo code CANWEGET20 to get 20% off your first purchase of the delicious coffee that helps Nick and I get through these episodes. Head to our sponsors at FreshRoastedCoffee.com today. Hey, everybody. Welcome into an all-new episode of Can We Please Talk Podcast. As always, I'm Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Saveri. On the pod today, a CPAC to remember, Nick, or maybe forget, depending upon how you look at it. Nick and I with the highlights of this conference this past weekend in Maryland, and I'm using the word highlights incredibly loosely. Later on in the program, Dr. Lindsay Chervinsky stops by to talk about her new book, Mourning the President's Loss and Legacy in American Culture. And in our final segment, Nick, you and I are going to debut a new segment on this program called the Viral Clip of the Week. So many to choose from. An NBA player in Memphis that doesn't realize he is not about that life. But that's not where we're going to go. More on that uh, in our final segment. Uh, some housekeeping notes real quick before I say hello to my co-host. The Inner Puzzle is a new podcast out now as a part of Leon Media Network. Join four-time Emmy Award winner and host Paula Byron each week as she takes you inside stories of real people who share their struggles, their battles, and they find strength and courage to get through it all. This new series is out now. Trailer is out now. You can go listen to it. And new episodes every Wednesday, and you can listen over on leonmedianetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Fantastic show. Really excited to have Paula as a part of the network. Now, I say hello. Transition to my friend. People watching us on YouTube will see that we are 
each wearing a Raiders sweatshirt and a Rutgers sweatshirt, respectively. It's March. Uh, I'm so excited for college basketball and the month that will be. How are you doing, my friend? What's going on your way? I've, I haven't seen, I don't think I've seen you, I forget the last time we recorded, but how you been? What, what's been going on your way? What have you been up to? We're good. It's, it is sports central here for the kids. We've got, well, just athletics in general. You know, both of our girls swim, um, you know, recently our, our oldest, you know, has got back-to-back basketball games. Uh, they both play soccer as well. So you know, over the last year, we've been very intentional about, you know, finding ways within the community to, to give our girls more access to just being active. Like any parent, you want to encourage that, not just for your kids, but for yourself as well. So that's been what we're living in right now. We're about to go through another round of other sports and activities. So it's, it's cool. I am, you know, I, I have played sports. I obviously play video games, all that good stuff. There is something, and actually, I'll take our texts over here, because um, Mike, you're going to be entering this world, you know, pretty soon with your with your daughters. You're, there is something especially cool to seeing your kids play, you know, whether they're good, whether they're not great at that particular game, whatever. The fact that they're out there competing, socializing with other kids, um, people are finding ways to reconnect, and I think about that often with our girls, you know, being able to play. Um, I know for our littlest one, I mean, prior to the soccer, you know, group that she's a part of, um, that was the first time she actually interacted with other kids. You know, we've had maybe occasionally some friends here with little ones, but you know, Eliza's never really had an opportunity. So soccer's meant a lot to us just to see her playing with little ones too. And so I think to any parent right now, um, that's kind of, that's what's up between that. And as you're saying, we've got March madness, um, you know, I've been paying a lot of attention to both English Premier League and women's and women's college basketball. Yeah. Um, so it's just been it's just been fun. I'm just trying to trying to both watch the games, both, you know, with my kids playing and, you know, with other people playing. How about you? I'm good, man. I was, I was just going to say EPL and then uh, a five year old, six year old soccer games. The, the competition and the passing is, is not as crisp as you would like it. Um, I will say, though, in the EPL, people do milk their injuries a lot more. I've seen Eliza like tumble. <laughs> she doesn't grab her knee for an extended period of time. And, you know, hopefully someone brings out a card. But uh, but you're right. The, the quality of play is, is noticeably different. It's true. It's true. I, yeah, by the way, off on a tangent real quick, I always hate when the stretcher comes out and then the guy miraculously walks off the field <laughs> as if nothing happened to him. Jesus touched his leg and has walked off. Speaking of Jesus, what a natural transition, Nick, because maybe if Jesus Christ was here, maybe he would have went to the CPAC conference that happened over the weekend in Maryland. A bunch of big names, the heavy hitters were all out, Nick. Marjorie Taylor Greene, President Bolsonaro, the former Brazilian president who's been now living in Orlando, Florida, uh, former President Donald Trump, Lauren Bolbert, Jim Jordan, all the usual suspects were gathered for some of the best conferences and breakout sessions that I've ever heard titled uh, from Don Lemon is past his primetime, No Chinese Balloon Above Tennessee, The Biden Crime Family, Open Borders Kill. You could just listen to all these people talk about all of these uh, topics that are hitting home, Nick, or you could take a listen to this montage. Obama knew, Clinton knew, Comey knew, Biden knew, Brennan knew, McCabe knew, Strzok knew, Clapper knew, Schiff knew, the FBI knew, the DOJ knew, the CIA knew, the State Department knew. They all knew Trump was innocent, but they smeared and spied on him anyway. Worse than Watergate. Trump is a crime victim. Let's remember that. And of course, we have the Twitter files and the FBI's illegal suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story, shamelessly using millions of taxpayer dollars. We no longer 
need a resident in the White House. We need a president who puts America first. I think the man that we need to put back in the White House will be here center stage tonight. I just drove through Washington, D.C., coming here for the first time in quite a while, and the roads and highways were littered with trash. And I'll challenge the governors of all 50 states, all 50 states, to join me in a great beautification campaign. We will rename our schools and boulevards, not after communists, but after great American patriots. We will get rid of bad and ugly buildings and return to the magnificent classical style of Western civilization. They're emptying out their prisons, and you've heard me say that, but they're also emptying out their mental institutions. And uh, to use a strong couple of words, insane asylum. Insane asylum, that's where... Anybody see Silence of the Lamb? That's where they come from. And I will save your jobs. We have the greatest job history of any president ever. I don't, I don't, I don't know what he was talking about in that Silence of the Lamb clip, and about prisons being opened up now and people are just being let out. Um, anyway, the funny part about this was there was a rival, uh, not so much a conference, but something happening in Florida where I am located, as Governor DeSantis had an event there that featured Nikki Haley, Mike Pompeo, a few other folks. It was an, an exclusive donor retreat that was sponsored by the Anti Tax Club for Growth a conservative organization. So dueling organizations going at it within the conservative space, Nick. Um, I'm, one another thing I was cracking up at as you and I were listening to this montage, there was a my speech uh, conference, or at least, you know, like you go to a big conference and they have these breakout sessions and you can listen to this speaker. The my speech one was Mike Lindell, CEO of Mike Pillow, uh, my pillow, excuse me. And they were showing I guess he went over time and just kept yapping and kept yapping. Who knows what he said? Uh, and there's a there's a Twitter screenshot of the media that were covering it. And it says on the bottom, please stop talking now. So he's looking at a screen that says, please stop talking now as he continues to ramble. I may steal that. So when I can use that for Nick Savary here on the show. All right, Nick, CPAC, uh, a bunch of different things happening over at CPAC, a bunch of different people added. What do you th make of first the dueling events between Governor DeSantis, who everyone sees as the challenger, to pr uh, former President Trump, and then CPAC overall on some of these topics that you heard in the montage. Yeah, I I mean, the DeSantis-Trump thing gets really interesting because polling data aside, and I I think I've said this before, um, so a few months back, you know, I saw the former Attorney General uh, Bill Barr speak at an event uh, for Catholic schools in New York City. And one of the things that he had said at the event was that he thought, um, and I'm pretty sure this is public knowledge at this point, but that he saw DeSantis as potentially being the direction that the party would go, should go in, actually. And so I think in a lot of circles, he he is the chief rival to Trump. The problem, though, is that and we there was actually a recent event where people were trying to actually Trump supporters going to see a DeSantis event, and they were told by a police officer, you know, wearing anything that had Trump on it would get you removed. Um, and someone from the uh, MAGA group, you know, decided to put down social media. So all this is just fascinating because this is just has the makings of really a rupturing within the party. And I cannot stress this enough. We have always talked about Republicans on this show, um, 
you know, we've in our private circles before we started this program with the idea that the Republican Party until recently usually was the more unified of the two. And that usually works really well in terms of votes and solidification of votes. That's just not the case right now. Um, and I, I, I said this to you privately, but there's a very real possibility if Trump doesn't get the nomination um, that I don't think he goes out quietly. I, I think he pursues potentially a third party and the MAGA party does actually get formed if DeSantis wins the nomination. All that being said, it's fascinating from a political standpoint. As far as CPAC, though, you know, in preparation for today, I want to share some really important information with everyone here about about this organization. So first and foremost, it is a con- it's for the Conservative Political Action Committee. So like any PAC, you know, it's a group of people that put, mo- put money together for an endeavor. And this event you know, has always been led or was originated by the American Conservative Union. The formation of this party, very important to note, December 18th, 1964, in July of 1964, a very important thing happened. It was the signing of the Civil Rights Act by President Lyndon Johnson. There's a great picture of him and um, Dr. Martin Luther King sitting together uh, when this bill was signed, one of the most important bills in American history. I bring this up because CPAC, like a lot of conservative movements, really has a problem, maybe not to those who consider themselves conservative, with an idea, with a a matter of the origin of this movement, you know, the movement also partly began with the defeat of Barry Goldwater in 1964, who really just basically got his ass kicked by by President Johnson. The response to that was this formation of what is considered modern of conservatism. But the thing about CPAC, though, it's a question of what they stand for. You know what they stand for. What what they essentially would say conservatism stands for. And and as I read some of these things to you, I want you to take note of. The hypocrisy that exists here, and I cannot stress this enough, it is very chilling that in response to the Civil Rights Act, which is ensuring that all people were given equal protection under the law, that the response by some Americans is to say, I'm not cool with that. (laughs) I don't think the federal government should do that to the states, which, by the way, if that sounds very familiar about, you know, people not being comfortable with the states trying to ensure freedom for others. Go look at the origin of the Civil War. So the website begins. This is over conservative.org. What we believe. Conservatism is the political philosophy that sovereignty resides in the person. So I'm very curious about that, because when you say that, does that also apply to transgender people? Because at that event, Mike, that you just talked about, Michael Knowles, who is a conservative commentator, had talked about that we need to eradicate transgenderism. Now, that's a really chilling phrase, because First off, you're you're looking at transgender people, not as people, but this is a movement. And here comes this nonsense about choice again. And this always personally upsets me because I've worked previously uh, with someone who would be who would consider themselves transgender. You know, when I met this individual, they had identified as a woman, and then within a few years of our of our working together, they identified themselves as a man. And to this day, he can he identifies himself as a man. An amazing person, a great colleague, a friend. And to think that there's someone out there, there's a group of people out there who look at this person as an other, who look at this person and say that you don't belong here. Mike, for everything the conservatives talk about in terms of freedom, there is nothing more unfreedom-ish than the, the willingness to go after people who you simply don't agree with. That's, the, that, that's always been the hypocrisy with this group. Um, some of the other statements that stand out here, you know, 
you know, we believe that we believe that collectivism and capitalism are inc- incompatible and that when government competes with capitalism, it jeopardizes the natural economic growth of our society and the well-being and freedom of the citizenry. If that is true, if you do not want, if conservatives think the government being involved is a problem. So why is it that that conservatives often look for ways for taxes to benefit companies and corporations? Right? Like if that doesn't make sense, when we had bailouts for companies, you know, in 2008, we saw both, you know, both President Obama was good with this, both Republicans were good with this. So where's this argument for free market and free market capitalism and let companies just die? And like if they can't move with the times, shouldn't they just erode? If you look at the, the we believe statements of the conservatives, the really upsetting part is that this isn't that it just does. It doesn't add up. It does for those who believe that civil rights shouldn't be in place, that individuals, I guess the states, should define um, what it means to be a person, to be a married couple, um, and, and, and the like. And it's like, how does that make any sense? How is that at all consistent? And it's just not, especially when you have people at this event who, who produce essentially hate, hate speech. And again, President Trump most notably began their campaign you know, going after going after people from Mexico. So my and as I always say is uh, just be consistent. If you're what you're trying to say is that we believe that this country is under threat by the growing prominence of women and people of color and that as white men, <laughs> we feel afraid. Own that. Own it. I respect if you did, because certainly your forefathers did when they were wearing white sheets, running around with guns, threatening people. That's the thing. I know people who are conservative. I'm fine with the uh, political argument. I don't agree with it, but I'm willing to have the conversation. But if you're not willing to own the fact that the formation of it is a, is in reaction of civil rights, if an organization like CPAC or this event really plays dangerous games and dangerous relationships with things that are completely not related to freedom, then you're lying to yourself and what you're really serving is a very bigoted view of what you think America should be. You know, to piggyback on that, and, and I've always said this about, you know, the seriousness versus the disingenuousness. We're not talking about people that are incredibly racist that are a part of the Republican Party. We're not talking about those. Those are not serious people. We don't want to deal with those people. Those people don't want Nick and I to have platforms or even be in this country. Right. They all want us to go back to our respective countries. Um, what I deal with or what I want to deal with is policy and how does this impact and what would make me want to vote for a Republican? So when I hear Elise Stefanik, like we heard in that clip, talking about the FBI suppressing this Hunter Biden story, they did not suppress the Hunter Biden story. The Hunter Biden story was out on a major publication and it was out on that company's site. A private company decided not to amplify that story. Those are not the two, those are not equatable. I'm sorry, those are not equatable. You know, I, and you've mentioned this uh, about you are a practicing, uh, on this show, you're a practicing historian. Well, I'm a practicing attorney on this show, okay? As somebody who minored in criminal justice and did a mock trial law, you know, throughout high school and college and wanted to be a lawyer, okay? And, and even took the LSATs out of spite of an ex-girlfriend. I, I will be the, the lawyer on this show. You, private companies and public companies, okay? Private, public. The law treats different things different ways. That's why in-house, these companies have legal teams that review documentation that they know based on 
the law and legal precedent will not get them in trouble. Twitter decided to do the latter and look at this story and say, we can't verify certain pieces of information within it. We're not going to reamplify it. You may think that's bad, but that's not a crime. And my problem is, is the disingenuous part of this. At least Stefanik knows that. The Twitter files didn't break any news, didn't break any records. Didn't break, nobody was, except for the, in the conservative movement, everyone's like, oh, look at this. Some, some is being suppressed. Yeah, on both sides. Because again, private platform. This is my house. I don't need to listen to your stuff in my house. You can go yell it outside somewhere else. With respect to CPAC overall, some of these committees, I mean, excuse me, some of these breakout sessions were so stupid. Um, and I would love to get back to actual things like there's a bipartisan committee right now on our relationship with China. And we're going to have potentially Representative Susan Wilde on the program to talk about that in the coming weeks, because that's something serious. Our relationship with China and what is happening with respect to Taiwan and everything that's happening, at least in that part of that hemisphere of the world, right? I'm all for that and a discussion on how we tackle what we feel is our biggest rival or superpower, superpower rival, excuse me. But when you want to get back into nonsensical things, like we're going to talk about in our viral clip of the week in the last segment, I'm not for that. I want to push that stuff to the exterior and continue to spotlight how stupid it is. And anybody who's falling for or listening to that, I hate saying falling for it because it has this terrible connotation. It's like, it's not even based in fact. It's not based in fact. Just because you said it doesn't mean that it's based in fact. We leave it there. Speaking of facts, I can't wait for our next segment to talk to Dr. Lindsay Chervinsky because she writes about historical facts. Her new book is out, Mourning the President's Life and Loss, excuse me, Loss and Legacy in American Culture. The book is out now wherever books are sold. Dr. Chervinsky, when we come back after the break. This episode is brought to you by KitCaster. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. How do funded startup founders attract prospects and talent? Podcast interviews. How do entrepreneurs with exits find new deals? Podcast interviews. How do C-suite execs differentiate in crowded markets? Podcast interviews. KitCaster books you on top podcasts. Click the link in the show notes for a special offer. Celebrate good conversation. Nick, today's episode is presented as always by our friends over at Fresh Roasted Coffee. Since 2009, their passion has always been bringing you gourmet coffees from all over the world, roasted fresh to order. I got my coffee snob here, Nick Saveri. Nick, tell these people, coffee snob it up here. Tell these people why Fresh Roasted Coffee is so good and why they're the official sponsor of Can We Please Talk? You know, often the best cup of coffee that you're ever going to have is the one you can you can make from home. And you need good quality coffee to do that. And that's what Fresh Roasted Coffee offers. You know, between single origin, between blends, flavors, anything on the coffee spectrum they've got. But more importantly, and I can't stress this enough, often when you purchase coffee, you don't know where to start. I mean, there's so many different varieties, so many different opportunities, so many different things you can choose from. And Fresh Roasted Coffee just gives you a very simple questionnaire and just says, hey, figure out what your cup, what your coffee cup is. Figure out what blend works for you. I've gotten some single origin recommendations, so is Mike, and that's influenced everything. And what they recommend, you can get in a Keurig cup, the way Mike takes it. You can take it in the way I do it, which is typically through a French press, or you can get it for a percolator. Whatever coffee machine you've got, they've got you covered. But more importantly, just a huge variety and a way to learn more about coffee itself. 
No, that's very well said. And all of this is available at FreshRoastedCoffee.com on their site. One cup is all it takes to fall in love with Fresh Roasted Coffee. But you get a discount for being a listener of Can We Please Talk. All you got to do is enter in the promo code CANWEGET20 at checkout to get 20% off your first purchase. Head to FreshRoastedCoffee.com today. All right, she's back on the program with us. We begged her to come back on. She said, no way, I'm not doing it. And then she was like, all right, fine. She, she caved to our pressure, Nick. She's a- She mostly was about asking about you. Like, you <laughs> Probably, yeah. Like, uh, the other guy's like, fine, great. I mean, we can nerd out about presidential stuff. No nerding. Guy, I told you, I I told you cap it. No nerding out over here with all this presidential <laughs> history. Anyway, she's a fantastic presidential historian. She's a co-editor, excuse me, of a new book that's coming out. Actually, she's already out. It's called Mourning the President's Loss and Legacy in American Culture. You can catch her work regularly. Across the television dial, I just saw her the other day on CBS News, and that's Dr. Lindsay Chervinsky. Dr. C, Mike Lee, I'm Nick Severi. Thank you so much for hopping back on the pod with us. Well, thank you guys so much for having me. It's great to be back. Well, I want to get into um, your new book out that I just mentioned. Uh, well, you were just talking a little bit about it, kind of. Um, why don't you give our audience kind of the elevator pitch about this book? Tell us about it. I just mentioned it before morning. Uh, the presidents. And obviously, you know, we're going to get into potentially uh, a, a president that currently is under hospice right now later on. Uh, but give us a little bit about the book and what compelled you to kind of jump in on this. Yeah. So the thing that was so motivating to me when I was exploring this project with my co-editor, Matthew Costello, it really came around the time that George H.W. Bush died. And when he passed away, we realized as we were looking around that all of these people were talking about him in a way that was really designed as a reflection of who was actually in the White House. The things people were choosing to focus on, George H.W. Bush's kindness, his decency, his humility, the stability on the world stage, uh, a time where bipartisan politics was possible. These were all things that were designed to emphasize that we were living in a time that was quite different from the one that Bush 41 had occupied and that that political world no longer existed. And people were expressing this with great sadness. And so we kind of had this conversation that was like, you know, has this happened at other times? Because that says so much about the American people and American culture and who we are as a nation and what we fear and what we want and what we're looking for. And indeed, it has happened time and time again. And in fact, every time a president dies, the way that the American people respond to that event often says a lot more about them than it does that person. And so that's really the goal of the book is it has 12 presidents, the ones you would expect and maybe some that you wouldn't. And it looks at what happens immediately after. What does that say about the moment the country is in? And then how has their legacy evolved over time? And what does that process look like? With that in mind, you know, when you think about these 12 essays and just in the work you've done on the research end, which presidents do you feel have received perhaps maybe the most, I guess for lack of a better phrase, the best PR makeup posthumously, where our perceptions are X. I always think about Nixon's, for example, the obituaries that we read, and just the, the national perception of someone who rightfully was notorious in American history, but in the work you've done on this book and just in other spaces as it relates to presidential history, where which presidents stand out to you is our perceptions just seem to just drastically change upon their passing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think Nixon is, is a really great example of how 
he tried for a really long time to rewrite his narrative. And so did Hoover. Those are two that that really did hard, really, really worked hard to recraft what the narrative would be when they passed away. And, and I think that they might have been successful in the short term and that there were some nice op-eds about them, but their legacy and what is said about them in the history books is pretty similar to what was said when they left office. I think there are two presidents, actually neither of which we covered in this volume, that have done the most spectacular job of rewriting their legacy. One uh, is the is the president we are waiting to mourn, which is Carter, and two is John Quincy Adams. And that's because he went on to have this phenomenal post-presidential career in Congress as a stalwart abolitionist and really fighting the slave power. The ones that I think that are perhaps loved, but not necessarily loved in accordance with what actually happened. A great example of this in the book is Ronald Reagan. And that's because Reagan and his family and Nancy did such a phenomenal job of shaping his legacy. And the funeral process was a part of that. It was morning in America. And when, you know, the United States could be proud of what it was and American people could be proud to be citizens. And he was the happy warrior. And and I think some of those things have certainly had a ring of truth to them, but they weren't necessarily the whole story. You know, I got a, I got a question on Reagan there. I'm going to save it for the end because you kind of opened the door a little bit about Jimmy Carter. I led with it at the top about the book, Morning the President, how apropos, uh, again, whenever this does come out, Hopefully the president is still with us, but right now he's in hospice care. Can you tell our audience a little bit about what you make of Jimmy Carter's presidency? And, and is he one of more is he one of the more notable presidents? It appears like he's been no more for his career after being president than before. Uh, give us a little bit of your takes on, on Carter's presidency overall and his legacy. Yeah, so I think Carter's presidency is really underappreciated. It's not to say that there weren't bad things for sure. I mean, of course, every administration has rough moments and his are particularly notable, but some of the bad things like the inflation that he's known for, he had nothing to do with. The inflation was already spectacularly high before he came into office and actually should receive a lot of credit for appointing someone to the Federal Reserve that took steps to try and cut down that inflation. And that person actually Reagan did keep in office once he came into the presidency as well. A couple of other examples, he took really important steps on environmental preservation. He was one of the first presidents to take action in light of evidence of global warming. He took really important strides on civil rights. He actually spent more on defense than almost any other president uh, after him, and, and including Reagan didn't actually increase defense spending because Carter was already spending so much. So there's a lot that I think gets forgotten about his legacy. And that's partly because Reagan was such a phenomenal communicator and Carter wasn't necessarily. And so Reagan gets a lot of credit for things that Carter already had in the works. And I think part of the issue, and we've seen this with Carter's post-presidential life, is he's so humble and he's so honest and he's so straightforward that that is not a very good uh, sales approach, if you will. And sometimes the presidency needs to be a salesman. Sometimes the presidency needs to make a case and be uplifting and be positive and be a cheerleader for the country. And instead, Carter told Americans to put on a sweater and, you know, turn down the thermostat and it would be fine, which is not really a message that I think Americans like to hear very much. So, you know, I think his presidency is really underappreciated. His post-presidential life is so extraordinary. And, and partly that's because he was a young man when he was in office or relatively young. 
And so, and he's lived such a long time that he's had so much opportunity to do things, but he's really made the most of it. Uh, he is almost single, single-handedly responsible or his uh, foundation is for ending uh, the guinea worm epidemic in Africa, for ending river blindness, which have saved millions of lives. He's helped broker peace deals across the globe. He has helped um, with recovery efforts when there have been natural disasters. I mean, like the list just goes on and on and on. And he taught Sunday school almost every week up until I think like a couple of weeks ago. So I just... I think the reason he's so remarkable is because he just seems so almost not presidential in the way that he behaves on a day-to-day basis, yet has accomplished such extraordinary things. When you think about just from, we talked earlier about like people's perceptions nationally, but just turning to you for a moment, you know, when you think of these 12 presidents profiled in this book and, and throughout your research, which president stand out to you is for your own self of what your knowledge of that president was perhaps, you know, in your work prior to prior on the research side, just as a student of history that in looking at those 12 essays and others where you yourself experienced change in the way you perceive that person and their impact. Uh, so I think there were two. The first was the chapter on FDR by David Wolmer. One of the points that David makes so eloquently, and I hadn't really processed because of course didn't live through it myself FDR was in office for such a long time and during so many pivotal moments. So, you know, he was in office for 12 years, but those 12 years contained a hundred years worth of lived events in terms of the New Deal and the New Deal state and the Great Depression and World War II, of course. And so there was a whole generation of Americans. If we think about when we start to have political memories, usually it's somewhere between like six and 10 years old. There was a whole generation of Americans who had never experienced any other president when he died. And he was so good at communicating and making people feel like he saw them as individuals and he heard them as individuals, largely through his, I think, fireplace chats, which were using technology in a new way that presidents really hadn't done to speak directly to Americans. And so the impact for people of his death, the shattering effect that it had on their sense of stability and the nation's future, I hadn't fully grasped until I read that chapter. The second one is the Reagan chapter. And the reason that this one really affected me, and this was written by Chester Patch, Reagan's death was not a surprise. Reagan was slowly dying of Alzheimer's. Everyone knew it. He had said goodbye publicly a long time before. And yet something about that like private, sad deterioration, the closing in of a world on someone who had been so global a figure, who had been such a brilliant communicator and could connect with people in such a charismatic way, was really sad. And, you know, it wasn't a surprise to me. I knew what happened, but it was really sad. And I was not expecting to be that moved. Speaking of the party of Reagan and Lincoln, oh, what a great transition, Mike. Thank you. I will pat myself on the back because Dr. Chavinsky, I golf saw clap. you. On, golf yeah, clap. yeah, golf clap is fine. Uh, Dr. Chavinsky, <laughs> I saw you on TV recently and they had you on for something that you shouldn't have been on for. You should be on for this, what I'm about to ask you right now, because I would love to know what a president, especially a lot of Republicans, some that have been on this program, like to. Uh, invoke former President Reagan and say the party has shifted away from what he used to stand for, right? Even though the slogan, Make America Great Again, has made uh, a return here. Marjorie Taylor Greene wants a national divorce. 
Um, what do you think some of these presidents would say? Because I haven't publicly heard President Biden comment on this. And again, I don't know how relevant it is to comment on a representative of Congress making a claim about the country splitting up. And she uh, we covered it on the last episode. She talked a little bit about it's not necessarily a civil war, but we're getting there close. What do you think some of these presidents that you've profiled in this book would say about such a plan from a member of Congress? And has there been a time in our history, obviously there has, uh, when somebody has done this on the on the floor of the House? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think I'm really torn because I, I suspect that a lot of the reason she says these things is because then she becomes a news story for, you know, 10 cycles. And that's exactly what she wants because it drives up her political fundraising numbers. Um, and so I'm sort of loath to give her the attention. And I suspect the president will not comment on it because he is loath to give her the attention. However, if he were to, I suspect Biden would echo comments that would be made by, I think, almost every single president with maybe the exception of one in the in the volume, which would be Zachary Taylor. I think Zachary Taylor maybe would be slightly ambivalent about this answer just because of when he served and his unwillingness to take a firm stance to try and resolve the major tensions of the 1850s. But every other president would say, absolutely not. That is unacceptable. The union is stronger together than it is part. Americans have more in common than they do different. It is essential that we continue to work together. I imagine the more recent presidents would point out the folly in this idea in that how are you going to split up states like Georgia, which is ruby red in some particular districts, but also has Atlanta, which is bluer than blue. How are you going to split up a state like Florida, which also has blue cities and large red populations? So it, it, as a practical purpose, it doesn't make any sense. As a uh, goal to improve the nation, it makes no sense because the nation is much better with all of the states because we are very large. We are a very wealthy nation. We are a very powerful nation. We are blessed with two relatively friendly neighbors and two very big oceans. And most countries don't have those advantages and we would be an idiot to squander them. And we really, truly, the biggest threat to our success is divisions like these and people who are trying to exacerbate them. Very well said. Oh, I, there was a part of the question you didn't answer. I, I didn't answer. Um, oh, I didn't part of the question know. I did not. <laughs> well, good. I probably shouldn't say that. But there has, of course, there has been a time when uh, national division seemed like an interesting idea. There have been a couple of times when the idea has surfaced. Uh, it first surfaced during Andrew Jackson's presidency, and he squashed that idea. This was the nullification debate. Uh, it then surfaced, of course, again in the Civil War. And one president, James Buchanan, did almost... He didn't do anything per se to encourage it, but he did nothing to discourage it, which is why he's always in the bottom three of the presidents. You know, awkward train. Well, not so much an awkward transition because Representative Green is whatever. But you know, obviously, you know, we both know the work that you've done, friends and family. We were talking obviously about <laughs> the social media postings in relation to presidents that you get sent. You know, are you ever in situations where just socially people you know just you know, reach out to you or you're at a dinner party or something and people just want to ask random questions or like, which president do you often get questions about? Yeah, people ask all the time, which I appreciate. I mean, I love that people are interested in history. That's such a gift. Uh, if not, then I would probably be out of a job. So it's great that they want to know more. Um, 
people often want to know about Nixon. They find his his personality puzzling. They people often ask how to make them how they should think about presidents like Washington and Jefferson that played such an extraordinary role in the founding of a nation and yet owned people. They want to know how they should think about that and how to process that. Um, and then there's always the the real life version of the well actually. Um, and it's not that they actually say, well, actually, it's that they want to try and come up with a piece of trivia that they know the answer to that I don't know the answer to, which um, if that makes them feel better, that that's just fine. Uh, I You were I much am, nicer about that than most people be. I just <laughs> I am delighted to learn new facts. And if they want to share them. Great. Uh, before we let you go, Dr. C, I wanted to ask you, because you were alluding to this John Adams book. Uh, and obviously, I worked at HBO once upon a time, and we had a, a series, a docu series on the no, no, phenomenal one. Yes, yes, you're welcome. Uh, I had no part in that. Um, so, tell us a little bit about what this book entails and, and the former president. Absolutely. Well, there have been a lot of words spilled on John Adams, and rightfully so, because I think he's such a pivotal figure in American history. But most biographers don't spend much time on his presidency and they treat it as the low point of his political service career. And, and that's understandable because uh, for a long time, I think people didn't fully appreciate what he did offer. And it wasn't until January 6th and what I saw for the first time with my own eyes, what it looked like to have a violent transition, did I fully appreciate all of the steps that he took to both create the practice of a peaceful transfer of power, to start to establish that norm, which had to be crafted from scratch and took decades to become a thing, but also to preserve the presidency and the nation after Washington, because it was, it's fine and well to create something, but any founder knows that the, the passing off of the baton to someone else is actually usually the weakest moment in a company's existence. It's the weakest moment in a new nation's existence. And Adams had to figure it out with only one model, which was, of course, Washington. And that's an almost impossible task. And everyone knew that whoever came second was going to be terrible. And it was. It was totally terrible. And yet he persevered. He made a lot of choices that were not necessarily beneficial to his political career, but were right for the country established essential political norms, and then left when he lost. And that shouldn't be the high bar that it is, but he did it. And he never for one moment took for granted how important those practices were to a republic. And I think most people, myself included, until 2021, did take that for granted. And so his example of not doing so is, I think, really essential for us to better understand. Well, we had David Marchuk on the program about his book, which I know you're familiar with about the peaceful transfer of power. So well said on that front. Uh, Dr. Chavinsky, she's a senior fellow over at the Center for Presidential Story, History excuse me, at SMU, if I could talk, because that's the name of this podcast. Uh, she's also the co-editor of this book. Go get it out now wherever books are sold. Mourning the President's Loss and Legacy in American Culture. You can read all of her work across any major media outlet. I love seeing some of your articles pop up on NBC News. So Great work as always, Dr. Javinsky. Continue success to you and stay safe. And next time that Adam's book comes out, we'd love to have you back on the pod. Well, thank you so much. I look forward to that very much. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. 
Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All right, our thank yous there to Dr. Lindsay Chervinsky. Like I mentioned, go check out her book that's out now, uh, available wherever books are sold. Mourning the President's Loss and Legacy in American Culture. It's out now. She's fantastic. We love having her on the program. All right, Nick, we get into our final segment here, the viral clip of the week. So many to choose from. I mentioned it at the top of the program, a bunch from an NBA superstar brandishing a gun at a strip club. But there was one that really caught Nick and I's attention and has gone uh, down maybe the Twitter Hall of Fame rabbit holes of all time viral clips. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we're going to play a little bit of it in just a second. But it's from the problem with Jon Stewart, where Jon Stewart interviews Oklahoma State Senator Nathan Dom about guns and some of the legislation that he's re- recently introduced in the Oklahoma State Senate. Take a listen to a little bit of the interview here. You're saying more guns makes us more safe. Yes. So when we got 400 million guns in the country, we had an increase and gun deaths went up. So when exactly does this curve hit that takes it down? Would a billion guns do it? Let's just run those numbers. You know, 400 million, 50,000. Uh-huh. You're talking about a less than a fraction of not even a percent, of a hundredth of a percent. But it goes up, not down. So your argument is backwards. But if you want, okay, so, so let's, let's come up with a solution, okay? So one of the issues, a contributing factor, again, I, I believe it's the individual that is the problem. So your solution to that is give them more guns. Because people are the problem, we need to look at the problems that those people are facing and how do we address it. For but instance, you've removed the ability for the state to do that. No, because, because you're- If uh, you don't have background checks, mm-hmm and you don't have registration and permitting, how do you know who has a problem in terms of the people who you're giving a gun to? Do you want to talk about the background checks first or do you want to talk about solutions first? I want to talk about what you're doing is you're bringing chaos to order. But do if you see my talk, point? If we're going to talk about protecting lives, that's a larger issue in uh-huh. America yes. than guns is. If we're talking about individual lives yes. of ways that they can be protected, loss of life in America, there's loss of life through fentanyl, there's loss of life through obesity. The obesity crisis in America mm-hmm. costs six times the number of lives as guns. Right. And, and so, you're the guy saying, you know what would help this? Ice cream. You want to ban drag show readings to children. To my house, yes. Why? Why, why, what are you protecting? Why can we prohibit children from voting, those under 18 from voting? Why are you banning, that? Is, is that free speech? Are you infringing on that performer's free speech? They can continue to exercise their free speech, just not in front of a child. Why? Because the government does have a responsibility to protect. I'm sorry? The government does have a responsibility uh-huh. in certain instances to What's protect children. What's the leading cause of death 
amongst children in this country. And I'm going to give you a hint. It's not drag show readings to children. I'm presuming you're going to say it's firearms. No, I'm not going to say it like it's an opinion. That's what it is. It's firearms. More than cancer, more than car accidents. And what you're telling me is you don't mind infringing free speech to protect children from this amorphous thing that you think of. But when it comes to children that have died, you don't give a flying fuck. So there's a lot there that Stewart takes the state senator through. And the interview is about eight or nine minutes. You can go check out The Problem with Jon Stewart on Apple TV Plus or wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, or thank yous to them for letting us use that clip. Uh, a couple things that I wanted to, before I toss to you, Nick, to get your takeaways, because this clip has been making the rounds. Everybody has picked up on it. A lot of journalists and news anchors alike have all said, this is the way you should be interviewing uh, people. Not so much that you disagree with politically. It's not an R&D thing, right? As Stewart kind of alluded to it there, didn't say it directly, but it's a right, wrong thing. The number one death, uh, number one cause of child and teen mortality in the United States is firearm deaths. Number one, motor vehicles is number two. Then there's other injuries and, and uh, diseases, excuse me, is fourth. The New England Journal of Medicine has mentioned about the causes of death have peaked since 2020 in firearm related deaths for children ages one to 19. All right, Nick. Um, First, we can take the journalistic part of this because John Stewart, as we've alluded to a bunch of times, is not a journalist, right? He's uh, at best an opinion commentator, former comic and an actor, and hosted a show that he would always hide behind saying it was satire, yet it probably did a better job than some of the new shows that we watch that are in satire, as we've talked about on the Fox News episode. Um, what do you make of not only the interview, the interview style, and then some of the stuff that they talk about? with respect to firearms. And then they also mentioned something about immigration. He talked about it there about wanting to tackle the problem and obesity and stuff like that. Yeah, but you're introducing ice cream. That's not a helper uh, to reduce obesity. What do you make of the interview overall? Yeah, I think it points to a, a, a major flaw in what we see in sort of the modern conservative movement. You know, if this is the idea of, well, let's, let's just go through that for a moment. You know, so the argument is for more guns. That's the solution. Now, the argument from a constitutional basis is the fact that the Second Amendment allows everyone to have guns. Let's ignore the fact that the whole portion of the well-regulated militia, the first, literally the first half of the of the amendment is not discussed. But that's not here nor there. We've talked about that enough. And real, and real quick, so, Stuart, yeah. Stuart, Stuart mentions that in the interview at the beginning. He says, well, you left out the well-regulated part. So, yeah. And it's but the other part about, you know, about the drag shows and specifically about transgender people. And I've been thinking a lot about that this week um, with the. You know, the gender therapy conversation we had, you know, earlier. Um, and it's just the troubling part about this fear mongering that this version of conservatives are doing. You know, current I tweeted about this the other day, and that sounds ridiculous for me to say it, but I'll bring it here. You know, these groups, this group of people likes to basically rotate groups of individuals to hate on. And currently, transgender people are the target. You know, when you're talking about drag shows and you know. Um, you know, people in drag reading to kids, you know, this person is putting forward the idea that this is dangerous to children. And Stuart rightfully talks about it. it's not the greatest threat to children. Guns are right now. And it just points to this, this flaw, because at the same time, by the way, when you ban drag shows and say they can't have access to it for children or what we see in Florida about, you know, restricting books to children, those are all forms of censorship. And I'm not a constitutional scholar. Although I like to p pretend to be one on a podcast now, um, 
but none of but to prevent children from being introduced to that or being in the environment of that feels like a government restriction and it does feel like a violation of the first amendment because the, in the interview he said or stewart you know rightfully calls out well you're restricting their free speech and then the guy says well n- not for children right folks when you go see a movie and people are going back to the theaters of course now yeah there's ratings pg-13 nc-17 rated r and such you're simply aware of it does it restrict you from bringing a kid there of course not but this is the only thing that the motion picture association can do you know even in a drag show if you choose to bring your child all of this is a you decision but the fact that this group of conservatives specifically this state senator wants to restrict that but not restrict guns is the fallacy i find in this conservative argument because you can't pick and choose you can clearly you can't pick and choose which constitutional amendments you want to really you know just that you want to just go hard for and then casually ignore or manipulate the arguments for the other there's a great account on twitter I, I think it's called the first amendment but it's basically run by someone who always points out when people are doing something in violation of the first amendment or when they say this violates my first amendment this twitter account reminds you no it doesn't now you can always go to that account or you can just talk to my friend over here who's on my left on zoom who always brings up mike to his credit about we are often in we are often incorporating the first amendment incorrectly and and that's the that's the problem here if you're going to be consistent, just be consistent is all, all I ever ask for both conservatives and liberals. And in this case, you don't see it. But most damaging of this is the fact that this person is clearly OK with guns being available to people that have the opportunity to harm children. And as we talk about this, we think about the school shooting in Texas. We think about all of these school shootings that we've seen. And these folks simply don't care because it becomes in that moment a matter of constitutional right. But on the flip side, if Mike or I were to put on a dress and go read at the local library, we are viewed as a greater threat by these people. And that's baffling to me. It's incredibly baffling. I want to give some context here because you said something there uh, that I couldn't say better. I've been saying this for forever. Whenever we talk about mass shootings, these people care. And I hate saying these people, people that truly don't want to amend gun laws. I'm so glad we had Dr. Lindsay Chavinsky on because she mentioned this the last time she was on. Uh, the guys with the powdered wigs back in the day when they wrote these pieces of legislation, um, they didn't uh, account for women voting and uh, wearing pants and certain things like that. Like there are, are different things that have been updated as society has evolved that we could potentially utilize to cap things, you know, limit things. And they always take it as like this restriction. The reason I'm bringing that up is because if you don't know who Nathan Dam is, if I'm saying his last name correctly, he's a state senator, like I mentioned, from Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. In 2022, he introduced five bills to the legislature for greater protection of the Second Amendment rights. Senate Bill 1330 would amend an Oklahoma anti-red flag law that would nullify any federal attempt to enforce red flag laws on citizens of the state of of Oklahoma. Then he introduced another one, SB 1346. So any personal firearm, accessory, or ammunition that is manufactured in Oklahoma and remains exclusively within the borders of Oklahoma is not subject to federal law, taxation, regulation, registration. And there was another one that SB 1329 would allow any person in lawful possession of a valid handgun license to carry inside the state capitol, the capitol where he works, he's okay 
with people rummaging around with a gun, as long as it, they have a permit to show it. It doesn't matter what they do with it. And we've seen a shooting recently in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that we covered on this show that happened at an outpatient facility there. So Stewart's argument is right. If you increase guns, you give more access to guns. It's just it's the same argument with planes versus cars, right? You're safer in a plane crash or plane crashes are less likely to happen in car crashes. Of course, there's more cars out there than there are planes. This is not rocket science. Like math is math. This is not this is not rocket science. And this is my biggest argument, just like you said, consistency. But if you're not willing to, and he mentioned this a bunch, and I'm not sure how much of it we put into the montage there, This the uh, Dom mentioned this a bunch about, let's get at the root problem. Let's get at the root problem. Okay, let's do that. There's too many guns, A, and then B, the access to guns. If you're taking away the measures that the state has in place to be able to monitor people that are getting access to guns. You say it's about the individual. Okay, we just identified that this individual should not have a gun. Why are you giving them more reign to have access to weapons? It's so hypocritical. And I think the montage cut off there because Stewart goes on to say that is exactly what hypocrisy means. Like you are saying one thing and doing the polar opposite of that. More than 7,000 people have died in gun-related deaths just this year, Nick, and 94 mass shootings have happened in the United States, according to the Gun Violence Archive. That was our viral clip moment of the week. If you want to see more on that clip and that interview, which was wild, um, I, like I said, the problem with John Stewart's available on Apple TV Plus, or you can listen to it wherever you get your podcast. Speaking of a podcast, video, YouTube, go to our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk. If you want to see the interview with Dr. Chavinsky is up there now on our YouTube channel, type in Can We Please Talk podcast and please subscribe to the show. Audio podcast platforms, you know them by now, Apple, Spotify, Google, Good Pods. Shout out to everybody that listens to us. Shout out to ACAST, our hosting platform. We can't do it without them. And we can't do it without each and every one of you that listens to this show. Email us as well if you're interested in talking more about the viral clip of the week. As always, I am Mike Leon. And proud to be partnered with someone who is just well-researched and always up for an awesome conversation. Uh, I, I mean that seriously. We we do incredible work here um, because of the kind of effort we're both putting in. But Mike, specifically, I really like just how you broke that down about the state senator. I'm Nick Saveri. Oh, appreciate that. Let me summonize my halo. We'll see everybody next time. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 